recordings. I'm streaming twice. Where is it? Technology's curse sometimes. Let me close the non unnecessary things. And it's on the bars, but I have too many things in the bars. I don't see it. Okay, now showing. Okay, got it. Okay, praise the Lord. Are we there yet? God, our Father, thank you for receiving our our worship and praise. And then now we pray that you open your word. Let your light shine upon our soul. We are hungry and thirst for righteousness. And we pray that you water the, the life you have, uh, you have planted in our soul and let it grow to become a, a blessing for others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are studying the book of Job. Uh, the title is, well, subtitle is Relating to God While Suffering in Life. It's not easy to relate to God while suffering in life, but that is our lot. So let's deal with it. Okay. This is number six. You must repent, according to a friend. Okay. Job 8. Okay. The background of the book is in Job 1 to 2. There was a heavenly council where angels created uh, either good or bad. They all come to report to God. And then uh, um, God recommended Job as a sample righteous man to, to Satan. And of course, Satan would say nothing good about him. Right? I think it's kind of dangerous when you're recommended as a good man to Satan. Right? For that's the lot of Job. Okay, but would you rather choose to be uh, controlled and used by Satan or to be recommended by God to Satan and thus you're persecuted by Satan? Which one? The persecuted one actually is better, right? So I mean, we are going to suffer one way or another, either by your sin or by your righteousness. It's better by your righteousness. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Satan, because he is evil, he does not understand good. Okay, because he's unfaithful, he does not understand faithfulness. So 
For in his mind will, there is no such thing as a person who believes God as God is. You know, people believe God because God gives them good things. Okay? And then that's his mind view. There's no place for Satan in for Job in Satan's worldview. So he said, oh, Satan uh, said that Job believed just because of the goodies. So you just take away, take away those things and he will curse you. Okay? And God allowed two rounds of testing. One round is taking away his external things. His wealth, which we agree, is external. And his children, which hard to agree to be external. But that's what was seen here. And uh, during that round, Job did not sin at all. Okay? And then came the second round accusation, and God allowed the second round of suffering. And this time it was physical suffering. Okay? It, God, removed, uh, God allowed Satan to remove the health okay? and then threaten his life. So I think my words in the first sermon was pretty illustrative. I said Job became a pile of pus in a crust of dust. Very bad, right? A life not really worth living. Okay? That's why he, the Bible says he did not sin in his heart. And I think it's a very roundabout way saying that he started to blame God and he believed that God owes him an answer, which is presumptive. Okay, and that is a sin, but he did not suffer because of this sin. This sin is the result of the suffering, not the cause of it. Okay, and um, in that background, okay, Job's friends came to visit, and they at first they sat there and didn't say anything that was good, you know, because the painful, the suffering mostly just needs your presence, okay, and your care, and that's it. Words usually cannot cover anything. And explanations are usually not needed. Okay? And sermons usually are not needed either. Okay? But these friends are so wise that they became sermonizers. Okay? And that's when they expressed their ignorance. Okay? You just say, uh, what did you just say before that? Conscientious ignorance or stupidity? Sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. And uh, that's uh, quite prevalent uh, around these days. So what the cosmic picture gave us is basically a conflict. You know, in all stories, there is usually a peace, a conflict, and then it goes to strengthen to the peak, and then somehow it's resolved, then you have peace again. That, that's basically all stories. So here, in the beginning, it was peace. Okay? A, blessing, a, a righteous man is blessed. That's what's supposed to be. Nothing surprising. But then a righteous man is suffering. That's not right. Okay? And that the, the moral universe is not working. Okay? What about us? How can we fit in? This problem must be resol resolved. And that's what the friends are thinking. Okay? And, then, and then at the end, it was resolved. Okay? So there was a conflict. Okay? And then the first way people try to resolve the conflict in the moral universe is through talk. Talk and talk and talk and talk. Okay? And... Uh, Lots of words. And uh, at first, it was Job who began it. He opened the floodgate. Okay? He just said in the morning, he said, why should I live? 
you know, in the reality of such pain in life. And I have nothing, nothing worth living for. Okay? Then his friends each try to give their wisdom, but in their understanding, which is incomplete. Okay, that's the problem. So his first friend, Eliphaz, who spoke, Eliphaz spoke first, perhaps because he was the most respected, or perhaps because he was the one who had best relationship with, with Job. Okay, he spoke first. And uh, as a good thinker, philosopher, uh, he challenged Job's assumptions. Job relied on his own integrity. And he challenged this, is it true? Are you completely you have are you completely righteous? And of course, nobody can claim to be completely righteous. Then with that opening, just like Satan says, you know, did God say, you know, with that opening, there's a crack, and then Eliphaz asks, maybe your suffering is due to your unrighteousness, whatever little that is. Okay. And then Job's response is, where was I wrong? I couldn't find it. Can you show me? You haven't shown me either. I don't understand. What did I do to deserve such pain? Okay, Nothing matches. It doesn't seem to be a match. You know? And uh, so he said, where did I do wrong? And that was his response. And today we're dealing with the second friend, uh, Bildad. Okay? His message basically is, you must repent. And uh, the three friends, I believe, represents the three faculties of our personhood. Okay? The mind, the heart, and the will. Or rather, the, the reason, the emotion, and the volition. Okay? The knowledge that, this, that humanity and all personhood is divided into such faculties is universal. The Greeks and the Hebrews and the moderners, uh, we all know that. Okay? And uh, in order to understand why there need to be the three rounds with three friends, I think it forms a complete grid. Okay? These friends uh, represent these three faculties, and Job uh, mostly used one of his faculties. Okay? That will form a complete grid, nine of them. The last one was empty because, well, the, they run, run out of things to say. Because there's really nothing to say. They're, they're in two different worlds that don't overlap. Okay? And uh, um, the, uh, among the three friends, I believe Eliphaz is a reasonable man and a relational man. Okay? He, uh, I think, is a personality of phlegmatic. Okay? Phlegmatic people, they try to balance every relationship. They try not to, to offend anybody. Okay? And these people are peacemakers. Okay? They're usually the glue. Uh, for a group, they, they serve be better in a team, okay, and uh, not necessarily as a leader, uh, but God could use people like that, okay. Um, and uh, Elphaz, his arguments are balanced in using reason, emotion, and experience. So sometimes he may seem to be representing heart, okay, because he's balanced. He seemed to say, uh, you know, from a good heart, kind heart, I care about you. This is how we should think. Okay? So, but I believe he is a good thinker. He challenges the assumptions, which is what Socrates did, right? Socrates, Plato, and then Aristotle are the three greatest philosophers. Socrates simply asks questions. He says, I don't have assumptions. I don't know what to believe. 
Okay, if you have assumption, let me challenge it. And finally, the person says, well, nothing I can, you know, rely on, but what do you believe? He said, I don't know. I just ask questions. But that's the beginning of philosophy. Okay, and then Plato is idealistic, and then, you know, Aristotle is practical. They complement each other, and that's the whole way of the Western thinking. Okay, so I believe Eliphaz was a good philosopher. He thinks deeply, he challenges the foundations, but he's a balanced man, so sometimes he seems to represent art because he's using that. And then Bildad is an emotional man, and so I think he's sanguine, the personality is sanguine. Uh, sanguine people are, uh, do things based on what they feel. Okay? And because feelings change, so these people, they are generally uh, people pleasers. Okay? And they, uh, they can change a lot. So in the Bible, you can see people pleasers. That's Peter. <laughs> He's a sanguine person. Okay? Uh, and uh, um, who will be the, the uh, choleric man? That will be Paul. Okay, what they decide is right, it must be done. Okay, and then who will be the, let's say, the, the melancholy? I think it will be Moses. <laughs> and then who will be the uh, phlegmatic? Probably, say, Nehemiah, I'd say, you know, try to balance all relationships. Um, but anyway, God can use all kinds of people. And Zophar uh, is a willful man. Okay, oh, uh, by uh, Bildad, because Bildad, he uh, back, he is an emotional man, but his arguments, therefore, are simplistic in reasoning and logic. And because the reasoning and logic becomes simple, sometimes he may seem to represent, you know, mind. Okay? But that's because he's an emotional man. That's, that's why his reasons are simple. It's in a simple framework. Okay? But for us, we're, we're seeing his reasoning. So he seems to be resonant, represent mind sometimes. Uh, but he's an emotional man. Okay, and then Zophar is a willful man. He is a choleric personality. Okay, he does not do reasoning, and uh, but what what he believes is right must be right. Okay, he was quick to reach judgment when he made up his mind. He has nothing more to say. That's why the third round he had nothing to say. So that was empty. Okay, and uh, uh, none of them are deep thinking, which is the melancholy type. The melancholy type like to be alone. They think it through. They try to make everything harmonious and in their mind, but they don't really like to relate to people, okay? And uh, Elihu, I think, is more like that later. So all four, four personalities were represented in Job, and that explains this grid of three rounds, okay? Um, that's just my opinion. I haven't seen it somewhere else. But here is a way of looking at the souls and the personalities, okay? Our soul has a portion, the upper or inner portion, related to our spirit. That's our conscience. It's, it's the soul of the soul. Okay? Uh, when Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with your mind, your heart, your soul, and your strength. Right? You shall love. That's your decision. Okay? With your mind, heart, which is two sides. Okay? And, uh, uh, and then with your soul. I believe that soul is the deepest part of the soul. That's your conscience. And with your strength, that's really your body. Okay. So the conscience is upper or inner, and conscience outer or uh, or uh, lower. And uh, one relates to spirit, knowing what's right and wrong. One relates to body, it's application of you believe in and put into life. But in the middle, it's your personhood. That's your mind, heart, and will. God is a God of three persons. That means the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Each has uh, his own mind, heart, and will. But together, the will of the Father 
is the will of God, for he chooses who is going to marry his son, right? The mind of the son is the mind of God to us, okay? Because Christ, he is the Logos. He's the reason. He's the principle behind everything, okay? And the whole universe was created by him for him, okay? And then the Holy Spirit's heart is the heart of God. He's kind, he's powerful, but he, he grieves for our sins, but he's gentle, okay? So that is how you understand the personhood of everything, okay? And uh, um, in the... Um, in the understanding of the uh, uh, the ancient Greek, these four personalities are, well, sanguine, choleric, and phlegmatic, and melancholy. But in the ancient Hebrew world, they also understood there's a certain thing. Because the, uh, the, the cherub has four animals represented, right? Four beings. The lion is the kingly one. That's the choleric. Okay? The, the, the man is the human one, the emotional. Okay. And then the eagle is the one that sees everything, knows everything, that's the melancholy. And the ox is the strength. Okay. So, uh, and modern psychology has a disc test. Most of them have tested that. Okay. For me, I am high I and high uh, D, and then low, uh, well, middle C and low S. Okay. So I'm like this, okay. or from the other side, this. And everybody has his own way of distribution. And uh, um, it's just like your person, your, your personality is like a cloud over this grid. And you, you float to be here and there. That makes your personality. Okay? And uh, um, so basically what modern psychology has discovered has already been written in the Bible, well, 3,500 years ago. <laughs> yeah. um, there's really nothing new under the sun. And uh, um, because of uh, humanity have been, uh, well, contaminated by sin, okay, or corrupted by sin. So every faculty, all of these seven faculties are darkened, okay. Our spirit is totally dead before our, our salvation, okay. Then all the others have been darkened. They have corruptions. They have problems. They cannot function possibly. The only way for salvation is for God to let the Holy Spirit to enter our spirit and remake it. Okay? Regenerate. After that, it's not dark anymore. And then the Holy Spirit lives in our spirit. Okay? So, which is in our soul, which is in our body. Okay? That makes us the temple of God. Right? And then the others uh, goes this way. Your conscience got revived because you now know you are a sinner. You agree with God. And then your mind understands it, that you can't save yourself. Okay? Then your heart feels mourning for that. You try, but you know you can't. What can I do? Nothing I can do to change my, my, my lot. And then your will made a decision. When you know the grace was given, you decide to take it. You receive it. Then you are saved. And then the rest is to use all your strength to serve God. Then others will see you. That's salvation and sanctification all included, okay? So, this is God's general picture, blueprint for making a new humanity, okay? And uh, it goes through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, it's, a, it's one big picture. Okay. So now, under that understanding, let's get into the text. We have 30 minutes, okay. Um, first of all, Abildad told Job, don't be a windbag. Well, that sounds like an emotional response, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bildad the Shuhite answered, 
the joke is he's only shoe height. It's very short, right? But no, it's more than that. He, <laughs> uh, so he said, how long will you say these things? And the, the word of your mouth like a mighty wind. So Bildad, who, whose name means Baal, uh, or the Lord, has loved. Okay, Dad is from David, love. Okay, the Lord, Baal, Baal, uh, which means the Lord or husband. Okay, and uh, he is a descendant of Shua, uh, Ben Abraham, who is a son of Abraham through uh, Keturah, the, the, the second wife. Okay, and uh, uh, in the very old age. Okay. And the, for, there are six sons. The mightiest was Midian. They formed the nation. Okay. So this one, uh, Bildad, perhaps is from Aram or Midian. They're all uh, related. They're all well, relatives of uh, Abraham. Okay. And he has an emotional response to Job's long speeches, including the moaning in the opening speech in chapter 3, Why Should I Live? And the self-justification in response to uh, Eliphaz in chapter six and seven. Okay. Where was I wrong? Okay. He said, "You said too much." Okay, Bildad has heard enough. He called Job a windbag, <laughs> literally. <laughs> and then he claims that God is just. Period. Okay, verse three. Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert what is right? You know. These two sentences are in the form of a doublet in the Hebrew poetry. Remember, uh, the Psalms, Proverbs, uh, parts of the, uh, uh, the, the other wisdom books, uh, like um, Ecclesiastes, uh, are written in the Hebrew poetry. And Job is part poetry, part uh, narrative. Okay? In Hebrew poetry, it doesn't have rhyme and rhythm and meter. What it have are compilations of images, okay? but structurally it always have the doublets, sometimes triplets. And the doublets usually are either saying the same thing, that's emphasis, or adding to it, okay? so complement, or uh, saying the opposite. So it gives you a parenthesis, left and right, so you know the, the, what expresses it within. Okay? And uh, this, these two, are they... Synonym or what do you call them? Antonym or are they complement? Seems to be synonym, right? So, God does God pervert justice? God is almighty, right? Pervert justice is pervert what is right, right? So, these two sentences are saying the same thing. And its message is that God is almighty, God is righteous, just, and fair. Absolutely. That's his message. Okay. For us today, we do, at least we should, distinguish these three concepts of righteousness, justice, and fairness. Okay. Because righteousness is just a standard. It's like God's character is the standard. It's the definition of what is right. Okay. And that anything deviates from it is not righteous. God is righteous by definition. Okay. So this righteousness is just being right. Okay? And justice is to punish the deviations. If you deviate from what's right, if God says life should be respected, and if you disrespect life, you kill the person, then justice needs to be done. And then the basic justice is life for life, and then you adjust on that based on motive, right? Is it premeditated murder or is it a um, uh, manslaughter? Then you, you adjust that, but there's a baseline. Okay, so 
This is justice, and fairness is comparing to all people. And supposedly you use the same standard on all people. That's being fair. Okay, but fairness is the lowest of all moral standards. In the Ten Commandments, it's number ten that express fairness. Number nine is justice. You don't lie in the court. That's about justice. Okay, and then、uh, number ten, you don't covet the riches of others. Because it's none of your business, okay. And then that's regarding people who have more. How about people who have less? Have mercy, forgive their debts. How about people who are equal? Don't cheat them in trade or in competition. So you don't use two sets of weights or two sets of measures, okay, in trade. Some Chinese ancient landlords used to do that. When they collect, they use a they use a bigger one. When they give out and they use a smaller one, that's cheating, okay. But it was done, <laughs>、uh, and I think interestingly, in the Bible there are two sets of weights for gold and silver,、uh, in uh, for for shekels. The shekel for the temple seems to be bigger <laughs> than the shekel for the market, and I think it's to prevent people from cheating God. Okay, so I I guess that was justice, right? That was not cheating itself per se. It's it's justice、um, or pre precaution.、Um, But anyway, you shouldn't do that. Okay, fair. That's fairness. It's this way. Fairness can only be used in a limited thing. In a competition, you try to be fair. Okay, but the competitions within similar people, man fighting man, you want man fighting woman, that would be unfair, right? Right. These days, they let transgender boys to go to girls' event. That actually is unfair. Okay. But they do it in the name of fairness, but actually committing unfairness.、Okay? And uh, um, so it, the whole picture is more complex than simply a word. But in ancient times, these three concepts are all wrapped up in one word. Okay, it's a tzedek in Hebrew and dikaios in, in in Greek. They're all one word, express all three meanings. But today, with our sophistications, we should distinguish all of them. Okay, righteousness is defined by God. Justice is punishment for deviation, and fairness should be strived, but it cannot require absolute fairness. And in this whole world, it does not exist. If you force it to to be there, then you're going to fail, and you're going to be disappointed. You're going to hate the world. You're going to hate everything, and you only do destruction, and you never build anything. Unfortunately, that's. A lot of the rioters are doing. They are trying for an ideal which is unrealistic, and they hate. They don't build. Okay, and that's the deviations from proper understanding of these sense of justice. Okay, so this idea that God is absolutely righteous and just, and in a certain sense fair. God is fairer than men, but there is no absolute fairness in the world. Okay, so、uh, but this idea is biblical for. Moses said the same in Deuteronomy thirty-two, three to four. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to your God, the Rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. Did he say the same thing? Yeah, yeah. That is a biblical concept. But the problems is the problem is in the details. Okay, both in logic and in application. Some people say the devil is in the details.、Uh, so is God. <laughs> okay.
So what is the primitive sense of justice? Well, it is to, to punish the uh, damages okay, uh, by the standard of an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. Okay? And that idea is to make the punishment equal to the damage. That's the baseline to judge around it. Okay? And uh, if the positive side that God rewards the righteous is considered together with the negative side that God punished the, the wicked, then it forms the law of double retribution. That was the rule of a simplistic moral universe that the ancient Near Eastern people held. Okay? But there's a problem, I said, with logic and with the application, right? There are four forms of a logical statement. Okay? The first one is conditional, that A leads to B. The second one is called converse, that non-A leads to non-B. Okay? The reverse is B leads to A, and the controverse is non-B leads to non-A. The first and the fourth are equivalent, the middle two are equivalent. So if one right, the other is right, for those are equivalent. Okay? One wrong, the other is wrong. But it's not necessarily true that if one layer is right, the other is layer is also right. Okay? And now let's look at the law of retribution in logic. Okay? The con conditional statement is saying that God punishes the wicked and rewards the righteous which is equal to, if you use the passive tense, the wicked are punished by God and the righteous are rewarded. Okay? And the contra... Is this true? Let me say, just say this. Is this true? It is true if you consider eternity. Okay? It is not totally true if you don't. Okay? But it's true. Since God is infinite, you got to consider eternity. Therefore, it is true. Okay. And its converse statement is, those who are not wicked are not punished by God, and those who are not righteous are not rewarded by God. And the equivalent one is the reverse statement. Those who are punished are wicked, and those who are rewarded are righteous. Is this set true? Well, Job was, seems to be punished, but he was not wicked, right? Jesus seems to be punished, but he's the absolute righteous, right? And uh, some wicked people seem to be rewarded by having a good life, rich and long life. Yeah, you consider eternity, you pay later. But it seems to be that they are rewarded, but they are not. It's not, it's not rewarded by God. It's working the system, okay? And so what you can see that the... Oh, finally, the controversy saying that God does not punish those who are not wicked and does not reward those who are not righteous. So the con conditional and the controversy are true if you consider eternal eternity, but the two middle ones are not true. Okay, but that was assumed by Job's friends. Okay, and uh, uh, besides logic, there's also an application issue. Okay. Assuming the law of retribution, there are complex issues. Is the retribution immediate, the issue of time? Okay. There might be a delay in punishment or reward. Actually, we consider the virtue if we delay our reward and working hard for it, right? So there's a time issue. And another we already mentioned is eternity considered, the perspective. Okay. Do you have a, a, a time this is worldly perspective. Just consider one life, you know, 70, 80 years, or you consider eternity. You, you have accountability to God. Uh, so something are not resolved in this life. Okay? And uh, how about uh, appearance versus reality? The perception issue. 
as we said, some people appear to be rewarded, uh, but actually it's not from God, it's working the system, it's from Satan. Okay? And things are not always what they seem to be. Okay? How about the, the, uh, the motive issue? What, di- what about disciplining versus punishment? The fathers discipline their kids, it seems to be punishment, but it's for love, it's not for justice. Right? And uh, uh, how about a complete, the, the com- compl- complex chain of responsibility? Things happen, but the person who suffers may not be responsible for that. Okay? Sometimes the fault belongs to ancestors, society, Adam, and Satan. For example, if an ancestor has dedicated his family line to an idol, then there will be a demon who will enter each child's life, and they think they have a right to be within. Until the child becomes a Christian, he has to drive it out to be free from this influence. Okay? So that is, if the child is influenced by this, that's not his fault. That's the ancestor's fault. Okay? And how about society? Three people are considered really righteous people by God, Noah, Job, and uh, Daniel. But God said in Ezekiel that when the whole society deserves punishment, even if you are as righteous as these three men, you cannot save yourself. You, can, you cannot save the society, you can only save yourself. Okay? So when the whole society suffers, wouldn't the righteous within it suffer? God has took his hand of protection away from the United States, I believe. Wouldn't the righteous in the United States suffer because of that? We do. Okay. And then how about Adam? The fact that we get sick and we die, that's the fault of Adam. He sinned, so all in him will die. Okay? And and of course Adam pointed to Eve and Eve pointed to, to Satan. And indeed, indeed it's Satan's fault to lure them. Okay? But then Satan will point to God. You see, you created me as a servant, and they are as children, and they can become son, and I will not. It's your fault. You are not fair. Well, see, that goes back to fairness. Is there absolute fairness? No. The absolute fairness will be everything is nothing. Okay, will be God is Satan, right is wrong, okay, goodness is evil, okay, that's absolute fairness, there is no such thing, okay, and um, so, uh, even God sometimes bears the responsibility, who bears the responsibility for Christ being crucified? You blame Jews directly, they, they send him to, to the Romans, but then you can blame the Romans who actually did the crucifixion, and you can blame ourselves, our sins he paid, and ultimately, it's God. God determined all of this, right? He sent his son. So the issue is much more complex than simple justice because there's issue of love. Okay. So God loves. God is love. That's why he expands love to creation. That's why he gave free will. And with free will, there must be the, the, the allowance of sin and evil and suffering. But suffering he uses for good. And when all of the good is done, then everything will be good. So that's the real way to understand the source of evil and suffering without blaming God. Okay? And then the ultimate issue is God is love. Okay? If you don't understand true love, you don't understand the source of suffering. And uh, can you, have you ever heard any love story without pain and suffering? Probably not. All of them involved about pain, suffering, misunderstanding, departure, deviation, alienation, and the pain, and then reconciliation, and then consummation, you see? 
love and suffering are inseparable. Okay, you have one one, you have the other. You have this, you get that. Okay. And uh, so. so now let's go on. Okay, we only did five verses. Okay, uh, so this man, being emotional but simplistic in reasoning, he is very straightforward in his structure. He now gives two applications and two illustrations, one negative and one positive. Very straightforward. Okay. The negative application, if your sons sinned against him, then he delivered them into the power of their transgression. Okay. You see, Bildad used an if on the guilt of Job's children, but it is not an assumption open for argument. He believed for sure that the children of Job who perished must have sinned and in a big way. Okay. They died because they sinned. God performed the justice and delivered them to the power of their transgression. They sinned bigly. They are punished bigly. That's it. Period. Okay. And this is a total disregard of Job's pain in losing his children, as well as the fact that he performed sacrifices in case they sinned. You see, Job has an idea of redemption, but Bildad didn't. There is no redemption in the simplistic moral universe of Bildad. Okay. Now he gives a positive application. If you would seek God and implore the compassion of the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, surely now he would rouse himself for you and restore your righteous estate. So after the negative application of the axiom, you know what is axiom? The assumed basic assumption of a logical system. What are the axioms of the, let's say, um, Euclidean geometry? How many? Five. Euclidean geometry, which is geometry on the plane, there are five. The fifth one is saying that the two parallel lines never meet, right? The fifth one actually doesn't stand on the slope, on the globe, for the, uh, the uh, latitude, uh, right? Longitude. Latitude is still parallel, but longitude, they will meet in the poles, right? So that is uh, Le Lebachowski or um, geometry, <laughs> no longer uh, 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 Euclidean. But anyway, I'm not trying to say, okay, I know something out of your head. I'm just saying that the axioms are the fundamental assumptions of a logical system. You just assume them. You know they are right. You think they are right. You know they are right. You believe they are right. And you don't even try to prove they are right. They are just right. Okay? So that's an axiom. The axiom for Bildad is that God is just, period. Okay? And then by using that axiom negatively on his children, and now he's trying to positively use it on Job. Okay. What is past is past. Judgment has been made. Job can only work on from the current situation. Okay. So Job needs to admit guilt and be righteous from now on. Then God will restore Job's estate as a reward. So basically saying, admit, you are guilty. You were guilty. Your children were guilty. That's justice. It, there could be not injustice. Because God is just, period. Okay, so... But I care about you. So admit that, and from now on, be righteous. Then you will be restored. Okay. Um, well, the person may actually care about Job, but every his word of his counseling cuts into the heart of Job. Every 
sentence of wisdom hurts Job because they live in two different worlds. Okay, yeah, and there's no understanding, there's no common ground. And then he advised Job to trust God and hope for the future. Though you, your beginning was insignificant, yet your end will increase greatly. We need to understand this, that Job was in no way insignificant in his beginning. That means before the disasters. Okay? But because of the disasters, after the disasters, he became insignificant. Okay? He, he has nothing now. He has no wealth. He has no family. He has no health. He has no hope. Okay, so that's what is him. So what Bildad is saying, consider, consider the past past, forget about it. Just think from now. This is your beginning. Okay, you are insignificant now, but if you're righteous, you're going to be great later. Okay, so uh, Bildad asked Job to trust in God's justice as doubly complete. As thoroughly as he judged the sins of Job's children in the past, he will thoroughly reward Job's righteousness from now on. Sounds good? Does it hurt? Both. Yeah. Okay. So, and then another advice uh, from Bildad is Job should trust the tradition and consult the past. Please inquire of past generations and consider the things searched out by their fathers. For we are only yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are as a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and bring forth words from their minds? So Bildad asks Job to trust in the traditions, the experience of the wise men of the past, which Bildad proudly represents. And that's the source of this moralistic universe, of this uh, uh, law of retribution in all four senses. That's, that came from the tradition. Okay. And he asked Job to be humble, knowing that as an individual, he knows little compared to the accumulated wisdom. In other words, he's accusing Job of being not humble. Okay. But was Job not humble? Can he deny, deny his experience, which is reality to him, that he is suffering and is not his fault? Can he deny that truthfully? He cannot. You see? In the moralistic universe of Bildad, there's no place for Job. But in Job's personal world of experience, this is real, even though there's no place for him, but he is real. And he cannot deny it. You see, they have no common ground now. In Chinese words, what? Chicken talking to duck. Right? There's no mutual understanding. Okay. And now he gives a uh, illustration. The first one was uh, the negative one. Uh, 11. Can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the rushes uh, uh, grow without water? Uh, while it is still green and not cut down, yet it withers before any other plants. So the weed that are used to make papyrus grow up in the marsh of Nile. They need a lot of water, thus they cannot be independent. They have no right of being proud, even though they appear to be proud, due to their fast growth and great height. They are 8 to 10 feet tall. So if you enter there, you're going to be covered. Well, even you will be covered. Okay. <laughs> He's 7 foot 9. 6 foot 9. Not 7 foot 9. Sorry. 6 foot 9. A giant among us, but not to the weeds. <laughs> so the weeds seem to be proud. They grow fast and they are great. 
but they die fast too, okay? And uh, if they're not cut down before their natural death, because people need those to make papyrus. Papyrus is the ancient paper. The Chinese were the first who made actual paper, that they mixed up the fibers and make paper. But that was about 1000 BC. The Egyptians had that about, had papyrus about a thousand years earlier, okay? They used these weeds and they glued them this way and that way together, and they form their ancient paper. Okay. So uh, build out a basic saying, hey, the, the weeds are proud, but they don't last. Okay. That who did he compare that to? To the children of Job. Okay. So the path of all who forgot God and the hope of the God godless will perish, whose confidence is fragile and whose trust a spider's web. He trusts in his house, but it does not stand. He holds fast to it, but it does not endure. To build that, Job's children were apparently cut off be uh, before their natural death due to their pride, like those who forgot God. Because when you forgot God, you don't fear God. And you don't fear God, you sin, and then you get punished for the sin. And that's evidently what happened to Job's children, according to Bildad. Okay, the the web, not a uh, wed. Okay, the, the web. They look similar. Okay. The web of spider is fragile. Okay, if a falling man grab it, it will not stop the the fall. So man cannot trust in the existing wealth, as apparently Job's children did. How did they die? The wind blew on the house, and the house fell on them. Okay, so they could have held on to their house, but the house killed them. Okay, so you cannot trust your wealth. That's what he accused Job's children have done. Okay? And now he gives a positive illustration, verse 16. He thrives before the sun and his shoots spread out over his garden. His roots wrap around a, a rock pile. He grabs a house of stones. This he is a man compared to another plant, a tree of sort. Uh, it is resilient against the power of the sun. Okay? Its roots are deep and wide. It wraps around the rock piles, it grabs a house of stones, and thus the plant is resilient against the power of the wind. So where did these people live? East of Jordan? Near the desert, okay? The big wind. So uh, he's comparing a, a, a tree that have deep root uh, as a man who has hope. Okay? Verse 18, if he is removed from his place, then he will deny him, saying, I never saw you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the dust others will spring. So even if the plant is removed from the plate, uh, that means the man meets setbacks in life to the level that his place would say, I don't know you. And this is exactly what happened to Job, right? He, he was changed so much. Remember, he became what? A pile of pus in the crust of dust. So he is unrecognizable. Okay? And his place says, would say, I don't know you. Okay? But Bildad says, even if you have met such a setback in life, the plant, representing the man, would have a day of joy in his way. For out of the dust, that is from the ground, others will spring. That is, the deep leftover root will spring up new sprouts. So you will have descendants who will prosper, and that will be your joy. That's your hope. The conclusion by 
uh, build that is that lo, God will reject a man of God will not reject a man of integrity, nor will he support the evil doers. Okay, he will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the tent of the wicked will be no longer. So he's saying that God is just, absolutely, as He did not support the wicked, that is the perished, uh, like Job's children in the past. He will reward Job's integrity from now on. So if Job accepts the above and behaves, God will give him laughter and his enemies shame. Again, all sounds good, but every letter hurts, right? Because they don't have under. Standing. So this is my summary of what is said here. Okay, God is absolutely just, as Islam believes. Okay, and in Islamic worldview, God is just and God is absolute. He's sovereign, and there's nothing you can do to influence God. Okay, and there's no redemption in the worldview, as in Islam. Okay, so what can you do if you are Muslim? You either choose to do the best that you can, and then try to let God make a decision uh, favorable to you because you have done well less evil and more good. Compare them relatively, or you simply don't care. Okay, Sim- simply since since it doesn't matter, God is absolute sovereign; He can do whatever He likes. Okay? So that's why there's a great room allowed for evil in the Islamic worldview. And uh, um, basically, they, finally, they st- made a standard is follow the prophet. Whatever he did, we can do. So he married 11 wives, we can do four. Okay. And he married as young as nine. Okay. And then, well, we can do more. We can do from three. Okay. And uh, um, anyway, they, he killed. The Jews and the Christians, so we can do the same. See, that that became humanistic standard, which is a really depraved humanistic standard. Okay, uh, and then uh, Bildad uh, believed that the law of retribution is true in all four senses. So, but what is true? Only in two senses, and only if you consider eternity. Okay, and then uh, he believed that Job, especially his children, were not righteous and were judged justly for their wickedness. Is that true? Not true. Okay. And uh, he believes that if Job admits his guilt and repents and behaves righteously from now on, God will restore his state and give his joy. Give him joy. Okay. Well, will God do that? God actually did that, right? But it's not because of this, although it is after his repentance, but it's not the cause. So all of this is a simplistic, rational sermon by an emotional man who understood only what had been revealed to his time. You can't blame the build that either. That's the best man can do at that time. Okay. So isn't it better that we have a redeemer in our worldview? That changed the whole picture, right? God, our Father, thank you for giving us this one chapter. seems short, straightforward, but it's quite deep if we think about it. Lord, uh, the reality is more complex 
and then the simplistic moralistic universe. And then the ultimate understanding is to read through the whole Bible and have the redemption in the worldview and uh, to understand that you are love. To understand true love, we understand the need of allowing suffering. Thank you for letting us go through it and delivering us through it. And we pray that you protect us through it and then prevent us from too much of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Please stand once again. I have two things to mention to you. One is that uh, one of our uh, members had been away from our worship services for a, a while due to illness and a recent surgery, Deborah Krause. Uh, we welcome you back. I uh, understand that you're doing much better now. So welcome back. The other thing is uh, Deborah prepares the bulletin and uh, we had requested that in today's bulletin she uh, reprint uh, Rick Smotherman's uh, recent prayer for our nation on behalf of our church. So we encourage you to read that sometime during the week. Now let's sing our concluding hymn together, To God Be the Glory. He hath taught us great things he hath done, and greater rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. May the love of God of Christ and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us and carry us through the sufferings of life, lead us to sanctification, to the full image of Christ, all for the glory and praise of Jesus' name. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.